Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. On this episode, we're talking housing. Today's guests are both Raphael Sestero, who's the CEO of the Community Preservation Corporation, and Kirk Goodrich, president and partner of Monadnock Development. Raphael is a recognized leader in the community development finance industry. He has over 30 years of experience in tackling the most pressing housing challenges cities across the nation are facing. Raphael has worked for CPC, one of the most financially strong and impactful nonprofit multifamily finance companies in the country, providing more than $12 billion to finance over 220,000 units of affordable and workforce housing, and is currently one of the largest community development financial institutions solely dedicated to multifamily housing finance. Raphael served as commissioner of the New York City Department of Housing Preservation and Development, known as the HPD, which is the largest municipal affordable housing development and housing code enforcement agency in the country. He also simultaneously served as chairman of the board for the New York City Housing Development Corporation and as HPD's deputy commissioner for development. Kirk Goodrich is the president of Monadoc Development and has more than 30 years of experience in the fields of community development, affordable housing finance, and real estate development. Kirk led the housing tax credit syndication business for enterprise community investment, first in New York City and then in the Northeast region. His team financed 12,000 units of affordable housing and invested approximately $1 billion. Kirk has been chairman of the New York State Association for Affordable Housing, serves on the executive committee of Citizens Housing and Planning Council, as well as on the board of the Metro Industrial Areas Foundation Community Restoration Fund. Most recently, he launched Black Developers Network Triborough, a 100% Black-owned entity that is helping position Black developers as leaders in the city's real estate market. So that was a little bit long-winded, but you guys have a great track record and important to let people know what you're doing um, and great to have you here on the show. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having us, Josh. Appreciate the it's intro. It's my pleasure. I think anybody that lives in New York City and certainly anybody even that visits New York City knows that affordable housing is just a huge issue, um, particularly through the pandemic at a time when you think there might be people leaving the city or pressure on pricing due to the struggles of the pandemic. But it seems that the cost of housing has just continued to go up. So I would really love maybe for each of you just to share your perspective on where we are in New York City right now in terms of affordable housing. The housing problem in New York is really a symptom of, I think, at least two things. One is we don't build enough housing because it's very expensive and time-consuming to build anything in New York. So we build less than half of what we should annually in terms of units. And then the second part of that is um, between 2010 and 2017, real rents in New York City have risen twice as fast as the median income. And so what we have is a situation where you know people can't afford to rent. And it means that people at, who are working class are poor and to remain in their apartments. And people who are uh, looking to buy a home often end up buying in you know, the Poconos or Suffolk County or Central Jersey or Orange County, New York, every place but the neighborhood they grew up in. Mm. And so it's a problem that's really impacted people across a variety of income ranges. What about you, Raphael? What's your take? As with most things, I agree with Kirk uh, completely. What I would add is that I think one of the 
challenges we face in New York is that even despite the pandemic, right, when everybody was talking about people were leaving, and there was a little bit of a blip, you know, people did, but what we have seen really since the mid-90s is a growing city, a city where people want to be here. They come for opportunity, they come for jobs, they come for education, and they stay. Kirk and I both knew a New York that was very different than that. In the 70s and 80s, New York was not a place where people came. And so I think a big driver of why we haven't built enough housing is that we have needed it. The demand is there. And so we feel this enormous pressure because we have hundreds of thousands of people moving into New York and we have a population that is growing, a population that is getting younger, a population that is more willing to move into neighborhoods in some of the boroughs that previously, you know, folks hadn't seen as neighborhoods where they got the, as Kirk talks about, the bundle of goods that they wanted. Now they're willing to do that. So there's pressure on rents in almost every neighborhood. And I think that we always want to have New York City be a city that people want to be in and want to live in and want to come to. That's part of what creates the vibrancy that we all love. We have to find ways to do more to support folks that are struggling in today's New York to be able to afford the rent and to be able to buy a home. And, you know, over the years, New York City has done a lot of things to do that. We have created a more affordable housing in New York over a 30-year period than any other place in the country by far. And we just have to keep talking about the problem and find new solutions so that we can advance the dialogue. And that's the reason why Kirk and I decided to start the housing problem, because we wanted to bring some practical discussion to a conversation that sometimes becomes very heated very quickly. And we've think that there's some real things that are important to talk about, real issues with real people. And that's what we try to do on the housing problem. You know, I was just put onto the districting commission for New York City. And in the last meeting, they outlined the, the census, the, the shift in New York City from 2000 to 2020. And it was dramatic to see the increase in population in the five boroughs in New York City, which was higher than really the growth rate nationally, which is very rare for a city to yeah. surpass a national average. Um, yeah, I mean, that trajectory is underlying the pressure on the real estate market, whether it's the rental market or the homeownership market. And I think we really want a city that's growing, but we also want a city where people can afford to live. And that's a hard thing to balance. The other yeah. thing I would add to that, Josh, is we also want a quality of life. When I visit my brother in his subdivision in Houston, Texas, or my other brother who lives in Katona, New York, and we all have friends who live in the Southeast, and it costs them much less to own a home or rent in those places. But that's not the only advantage. You go to those places and the quality of life is just superior. One of the things that we talk a lot about on the housing podcast is defining housing as a bundle of goods. It's not just the apartment you rent or the home you buy. Uh, housing 101 you know, helps us understand that when you rent an apartment or buy a home, you're buying a bundle of goods that includes how good the schools are, whether the neighborhood is safe, mm -hmm. whether you got a coffee shop on your block, how far you got to go to get to the library, whether you got a park. And the bundle of goods needs to be up to par in New York. Uh, and I think the problem is, at least some people have accepted the fact that 
it's okay to have an inferior bundle of goods because we're New York, because of course everybody wants to be here. And I think that's flawed thinking. I think people want to be safe. I think they want their kids to be safe. I think they want their kids in good schools. I think they want to live near good recreation. They want everything people in other communities want. And why should we settle for less? Why should a city as incredible as New York settle for an inferior quality of life? And so it's impossible to separate the affordable housing issue and the, the housing problem from this question of quality of life. Yeah, well, that's what I mean, quality of life, I find, you know, especially covering local media. I mean, those are the basic foundations of a quality neighborhood. And you're right, that directly correlates to, to housing. Talk to me about how you guys started the podcast and how you two connected. So Kirk and I have known each other since our senior year in uh, in college. Uh, nice. We both went to Cornell. Yeah, it's been a long time because we're both old. But we met our senior year at Cornell University um, when we were both doing an internship program in New York City, where we worked four days a week in an internship and then one day a week did a community project uh, as a group of students, a community project with a nonprofit. And we got to meet over that time. Uh, we went back to school. We finished. We both came to New York for our first jobs. We ended up going to graduate school together and rooming together in graduate school. Kirk was there when I met my wife. We've been in each other's weddings. We have been great friends for a long time. And to me, most interesting about this is that, you know, I grew up in Rochester, New York. I'm not a native New Yorker. Kirk is a native New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn, lives in the same neighborhood that he grew up in. We come from completely different backgrounds, but we've arrived at the same place, which is spending 30 plus years of our career trying to build the kinds of neighborhoods that New Yorkers can and want to live in. We started the housing problem because we spent a lot of time talking to each other about stuff. And we finally came to this realization that talks about it, and he'll share his take on this, but he talks about the currency of today being podcasts and social media. And people like Kirk and I, with all of our experience, have spent all of our time and energy focused on building buildings, preserving buildings, trying to make New York more affordable. And we decided that it was time for us to step into the new world and try to use our experience to bring uh, those stories uh, to bear. And we jumped into it and it's been great. We've had a really great time. We've had some great guests. When did you start the Housing Problem podcast? It's been a few months now. We just finished our sixth episode. The production team at Marino has sort of led us through the process. We'd never done any sort of podcast or content of this kind. And, you know, we're, we're slow learners, uh, Josh. You clearly figured it out long before us, as did well, everybody listen, you've else. you've only done six. I think I'm up to 60, so it's just a matter of practice. <laughs> but to Raphael's point, maybe there was a time in our country where building a business or building buildings mattered a great deal. I mean, I'm sure it still does to an extent, but increasingly the ability of people to communicate their point of view directly to each other without relying on the three networks that existed when we were kids. <laughs> so, you know, or the, the, you know, the handful of radio stations that the ability to talk to each other now is so empowering that people gravitate toward it. And whether you have absolutely nothing to say that's edifying, or whether you have a lot to say that's meaningful, it's sort of a level playing field. It's a really democratic uh, medium. And so we decided it was important for us as practitioners in housing 
to really, you know, register our opinion in the public discourse. So who have been some of your guests? We've had six guests. So we've had uh, Congressman Richard Torres from the Bronx. Nice. And we talked to him about NYCHA um, housing. He grew up in New York City Housing Authority projects in the Bronx. We had uh, council member Pierina Sanchez, who grew up in the North Bronx and is a freshman uh, council person who has an amazing story of growing up in the Bronx and a working poor family and going to Harvard and Princeton. We had Muzzy Rosenblatt, who is a veteran in the homeless housing field, who was a former D, a Department of Homeless Service Commissioner, and now runs BRC, which is one of the leading providers of social services and housing to um, homeless populations across the city. What were the other three, Raphael? We had Mark Yar started off our first episode, who's you know been in the affordable housing world in New York for 40 uh, some odd years. And we spent the first episode talking about some of the history to kind of set the context and, and set the table. And then we spoke to Von Stennett, uh, who's the executive director of the Community League of the Heights, about neighborhood change and how neighborhoods change. Washington Heights has gone through many, many changes over many decades. And so we talked to her about that. And we talked to Colvin Granham, um, who's the CEO of Bed-Stuy Restoration, which is the original community development corporation in the country. And we talked to him about the impact of race in housing and how race plays into that. So, you know, what we've tried to do, Josh, is bring guests who have either lived experience that gives them a unique perspective on housing and the housing issues in New York, or who have been working for many years in neighborhoods and bring the perspective of that work to the table and trying to elevate those voices uh, in the housing debate. You know, I'd love your guys' perspective because, you know, listening closely to what you're saying is that the population is going up and there's not enough housing. Yet we all know that whenever there's a project that wants to build either a lot of units or a taller building, that there's a lot of community opposition. One of them that surprised me before the pandemic, which I really thought was short-sighted was the opposition to Industry City when Industry City yeah. wanted to redevelop. I look at Industry City as a success story. Whenever you can yes, convert absolutely. storage facilities into communities that employ and invest in a neighborhood, I see it as a win-win. And I know for a fact that they were very active and still are in recruiting from the local community in terms of training and um, job applicants. So how do you think we get over that? How do we get through the community opposition of building more when that really may be one of the key elements, supply and demand, right? The basic part of the you know, economy. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Not that specific project to say. I'm just bringing that up because that's the one that really yeah, it's an example. surprised me the most because of the way that the developer had a track record and in terms of how the usage of the current even state of the area. But I know it happens all over New York City because we cover it all the time where whenever something wants to be built, listen, fairly, it goes through community input. I would say that over the last few years, there's been a lot of opposition to building more. So what's your guys' input on that? I think the basic problem is that people aren't educated about what actually the benefits would be. Judging from my close family and friends, I would say people generally don't read enough. And what they do read is not the kind of content that's objective and balanced. So I think that's one thing. But I think the larger problem, which is a human problem, is 
people aren't willing to endure any level of inconvenience to themselves and their families for the greater good. I think folks are laser focused on, you know, their lives, how their kids are doing, how their immediate family is doing, and are just less concerned about others, especially if helping others uh, will result in any level of inconvenience uh, to them. And I think that is a problem that I observe regardless of race and income level across the city. I think you could go to board six or board four in Manhattan or community board three in the Bronx or Brooklyn. I just think that fundamentally folks are not willing to do the things they need to do to help their fellow New Yorkers. I think that's the truth and it's probably the simplest answer. Mm-hmm. I think part of what compounds what Kirk's talking about is that we have voices out there in New York, advocacy voices, who pick on the easy topics. So industry city is going to mean rents are going to go up in Sunset Park. Amazon means rents are going to go up in Long Island City. And I think people, first and foremost, particularly in neighborhoods where people are, are really struggling, they hear that and they think, not only is this going to inconvenience me, right? It's going to bring more people to the neighborhood. It's going to be more of a pain in the neck. Uh, the neighborhood's going to, the quality of life is going to go down. And I'm not going to get any benefit out of it. I'm not going to get a job. Be, I'm not going to get access to the affordable housing that's built. My rent is going to go up. And so I actually think we have to try to, if we're going to try to break this down, what we have to try to do is deliver more housing benefit from the housing we want to build, whether that's really focusing on requiring local hiring uh, of New York City residents, particularly coming out of a pandemic when employment is high, whether that's thinking about ways to expand access to rental assistance and other programs that help people who are living in the neighborhood already, but are fearful of rents going up. I think we have to accept that people are going to be opposed unless they can see a benefit to themselves. And we got to try to figure out how we make, and there are so many New Yorkers who are experiencing housing difficulty right now, right? The amount of New Yorkers that are struggling to pay the rent, that can't find a home they can afford to buy, that are teetering on the edge uh, with their current job, means that there are so many people who need housing and they need housing help and building which has been our answer to everything. The answer of New Yorkers to every housing problem is when we just got to build more. Well, yes, but we also have to do some other things to try to make sure that more people in New York feel the benefit of our housing policy and our housing uh, our housing work. Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger problem, you brought up Amazon. <laughs> I have to go back to that, but it's almost like, you know, politics is getting involved and they're bringing back the saying from the 80s of drugs, just say no. Whereas right. the answer shouldn't be no, the answer should be give constructive oh. feedback yeah, and right. real alternatives, because the answer of saying no and turning away everything is never going to solve the problem. So I spent seven years of my life uh, in New York City government fighting battles through the Euler process and the public approval process. And I can tell you that even just that short period of time ago, 2004, 5, 6 through 2011, 12, 
even just that short time ago, I always felt like the goal of all parties involved was to get to yes. We battled over how to get to yes, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But the purpose was to get to yes. And I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. It's become much easier to kill things and there's no repercussions for killing things. The thing I would add to that is I think Raphael and I talk a lot about this on our podcast to the electeds we've had on, which is we've raised like normal people. You come to the office and you produce a podcast. Your company, I'm sure, produces other online content and magazines, et cetera. I have to build buildings. Raphael has to finance buildings. My father was a plumber. He had to get up in the morning and, you know, fix a pipe. A garbage man, you know, has to put the garbage in the back of the truck. Everybody you and I know and respect has to actually produce something. We've elevated a generation of people, elected officials, influencers, conspiracy theory folks, who literally can get up every day and not produce anything tangible at all. And we celebrate them. I don't want to mention any names. I think you know who many of them are. If you look at their record, or you look at what they do for a living, it's not what my dad did for a living. It's not what our families did for a living. Um, there's no buildings going up. There's no streets they, they clean. They literally do nothing and they're celebrated, like they're deified. And so right, right. we've actually created a whole generation of people. We've given license to say no, to not do anything, and so the question in Amazon, forget whether you like Amazon or thought it was a good idea or not. The question is, if you didn't like the 25,000 jobs they were creating, it's okay to say no. Somebody should have asked, okay, where are your 25,000 jobs? Because it's not okay to kill the 25,000 jobs I'm creating unless you got 25,000 jobs. And no one ever asked that. There was no accountability around that. And so now somewhere in Arlington, Virginia, there's 25,000 jobs and they're financing 20,000 units of affordable housing in the Arlington, DC area. You think we could have used those 25,000 jobs and 20,000 units of housing? Yeah. It's insane so. that we are okay with that. Right. I mean, right. That, that was my biggest feeling is that say, listen, if you don't like it, say what you want. Right. Correct. But that's my point about the culture of just saying no, as opposed to trying to get to yes. And the history of New York is public battles over big development projects and projects that affect neighborhoods and affect people, right? And we've lost that sort of spirit of, we'll figure out how to get to yes. I don't agree with you. You don't agree with me, but let's figure out what are the things we agree on. And then let's work around those parameters. And process actually works when people come to it good faith. And I think some of that has been lost. And that's really, really unfortunate. Well, I'm glad that you two came together to do the uh, the podcast, because listen, it's a, it's a critical issue. And I think discussing it more and getting it out there more is the key, like you were saying, is informing people and letting them know the facts is certainly critical. Let me end off with this. If each of you could have a guest on the Housing Problem podcast, you know, who would be your top choice? In New York City housing. So let's keep it to that. <laughs> Do they have to be living? No. Or is this like, if you, know, you could if you pick want, anybody. If you want to meditate it, go ahead. You know, I'd have Ed Koch. 
because Ed Koch is really the father of the affordable housing world that we know today. He created a 10-year plan and said, we're not going to turn our backs on neighborhoods. We're going to invest in neighborhoods. And for those who are listening, who remember what the Bronx and Brooklyn and Harlem looked like Mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s, despite all of our problems today, those neighborhoods are markedly better uh, than they were back then. And Ed Koch and his housing plan, the creative way in which they use city resources to finance that housing is the father of that. So I would love to talk to him about that. What about Um, you, Kirk? I would bookend that and say the current mayor. I think the thing the current mayor and Mayor Koch have in common is pragmatism and fearlessness. I think they're both fearless individuals and they're both pragmatic. If you're going to be in this space in New York City trying to make change, you're going to have to be willing to take some take some abuse and some criticism and keep going. And I think the current mayor has demonstrated an ability to make unpopular decisions totally agree. that he, he believes in. In our affordable housing world, there is a laser focus on safety nets, helping the poorest folks survive in an expensive city. And that is the highest priority. I agree with that. What the current mayor has added to that discourse is it's important for all of us to have a good quality of life and to feel safe. And that is not something you hear often at all in the affordable housing world, I think. But it is an important message because we need to make sure not only the poorest and most vulnerable families are safe, that the city is safe for all New Yorkers. And I think this mayor has delivered that message and hopefully he succeeds. Well, Kirk and Raphael, thank you both so much. If anyone wants to hear more on affordable housing, make sure to check out their podcast, The Housing Problem, which you can find on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon Music. And of course, you can listen to all of your Schneps Connects podcasts at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. Thank you.